called yesterday, uh, and thankfully I have many lessons that I've, I've taught before at Bridge and Detour, and I'm going to teach one from Bridge today, expanded to a sermon, uh, but, um, so it is a little bit of a burden on us, but just think for a second, as you think through Paul being hurt to the point where he can't be our pastor anymore. And you begin to appreciate something that maybe you've taken for granted so often. I know I have. Paul's just always there. He's just always my friend. He's always someone I lean on and rely on. And now he's he's gone. He's not here. And I'm so thankful he wasn't hurt worse. He plans to preach next week his Founders Day sermon uh, that he's preached for many years on Founders Day. Uh, And then he'll hopefully be back with us um, as he heals. But, um, But he's hurt. And so let's pray for Paul. And as, as, uh, as we praise this, all right, it's kind of sticking out a little bit. As, um, as we pray for Paul, I want you to think, if you, have you sent him a note of encouragement? Have you, have you, have you realized how much you appreciate Paul? Might be a good time, uh, just as, as he's heard in this week, that you might send him a text or an email or a handwritten note, uh, just to let him know how much you appreciate Paul. Well, let's pray before we uh, dig into God's word this morning. Father God, uh, it's moments like these when uh, we lose someone so precious to us that we know how precious he is and how valuable he is to us. Not just as someone who preaches behind this pulpit, but someone who comes alongside of us and cares for us as a shepherd would sheep. Someone who looks out for us, who pays attention, who listens, who knows us by name. I think just about everybody by name in this room and, and more. And the way that you have called into this pulpit in a, in a, in a way that's so sacrificing for his, himself and his family. God, we appreciate that. We do pray for a speedy recovery. God, that you, only you, could heal him. And so we pray that you would. You would heal him. That you'd bring, us, bring him back to this uh, body of believers. Inspire some in this room to say to Paul what they've wanted to say, but never have taken the opportunity to say it. And now, God, as we turn our attention to your word, as we look at a familiar passage, God, I pray that this passage would not just be something familiar, but that it would inspire us to see your glory and to see your ministry here on earth in this great miracle that is called a sign. Help us to see what that sign points to and not just food. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, I'm going to move this over here so we, Paul can kind of stand over here by our side. I feel like he's with me now, so that's good. Uh, yes. Say again. Oh, uh, if you're in kindergarten and first grade, one of the many things I've forgotten this morning, uh, you are dismissed down the center aisle to the back doors there. There are quite a few. Yeah. Okay. John chapter six. Let's turn our attention there. Um, when you study scripture, one of the great greatest things you can do when you look at a familiar passage is to look for the things that are abnormal, out of place, a sore thumb, for example, that sticks out. And in this passage, obviously the miracle is one of those things. So we do want to look at that. Wow, Jesus can make food out of nothing, much like he created the world out of nothing. He creates food. He takes some materials, but then just there's blossoms and just grows this huge amount of food. So that's obvious. But what are some of the perhaps less 
obvious things that would stand out to us that are abnormal. We're going to look at three things. First, a sign. It's a miracle, but it's called a sign. That's abnormal. It's out of place. Weird. We'll pay attention to that detail. Second, we're going to look at the 12 baskets. That's kind of strange. And I'll show you why. And then thirdly, we'll look at the helpers. Those who are used as helpers in this great miracle. First, the sign. Let's ask the question, who is the audience? Who is the audience? Who is the target audience for this miracle? The sign points to something for for whose sake? Is it the 12 disciples? Is it the little boy? Or is it the 5,000? And we would probably say, no, it's for everybody. It's the 5,000. Certainly it is for the 12 disciples. But really, it's a sign to the general population. Well, what about the 12 baskets, the next abnormal detail in this miracle? Who is the intended audience to look upon this detail? Well, it isn't the 5,000. It's the 12 disciples. So there's a lesson for the 5,000. There's a lesson to learn for the 12 disciples. And then what about this little boy? What about the helpers who helped Jesus in this miracle? Who is that aimed at? That's aimed at you and me. We are supposed to look at this story and see something in 2013. And so we will do that this morning. First, the sign. It's interesting that Jesus calls this, or John calls this a sign. Many times in the book of John, he refers to miracles as signs. Now, I think it's a miracle. Bread for a thousand, for five thousand. A little, little tiny lunch expanded to all this group of people. But he calls it a sign. And what, what is the purpose behind that? Why does John call a miracle a sign. The difference between a miracle and a sign. A miracle. If he called it a miracle, our minds would go in this direction. That this happening, this event, has a period at the end of it. Wow, I got lunch. And what is the response for a miracle that you get? That that you get some kind of healing or you get, in this case, a lunch. A free lunch. Or in other cases, sight to the blind. What do you do when you are the target of that? You say thank you. And you go to God and you say, I'm so grateful for what you've given me. But that's not what this is, merely. I mean, it is that. It is a miracle. But it's more than that, isn't it? It's a sign. The miracle points to something else. Very common theme. The miracles of Jesus always point to something else. Jesus never performs a miracle, never heals, never feeds, never helps alone. He always points to something else. So the question becomes, what is that something else? John 1.14 says, the glory of God came down in Jesus like a beam of glory from heaven down to earth. And there's a beam, there's like a a spotlight, if you will, from heaven down to earth. And Jesus is in the center of that spotlight. And so what what you do when you see the miracle is you see this glory, you see this wonderful event, and you follow the spotlight beam back to its source. And, and, And that's what a sign does. It points back to the source. I was in a conversation with a a number of people uh, in high school. 
uh, particularly, and some in college, about the, the show Duck Dynasty. And uh, that's a very funny show. We were all, they were all laughing about it, and I felt left out because I'd never seen an episode before. And I don't see the reason to see an episode in my future. So if you've watched it, I'm not putting you down, but it's a silly show. And uh, anyway, so I am putting you down. But, it, but we're talking about this show, and hey, I, that's pretty funny. Yeah, that's funny, too. And I'm just I'm feeling left out, so what do I do? I pretend I've seen the show. Yeah, that was a great episode. Yeah. Oh, and the guy with the beard. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was awesome. And, and I remember seeing some shirt. I can't even remember. I'm standing here before. I can't remember what the shirt said. But it was some saying that they always say on the shirt. And so I quoted that shirt. Yeah. And when he said blah, 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 blah. Remember that? And they all kind of went, yeah, yeah. But, but have you seen the show, Dave? You're talking like someone. You don't laugh at all our jokes. You don't quite get all our jokes. Have you seen the show? And I confess, No. No, I haven't seen the show. And I was kind of, I mean, the circle kind of tightened up and I was kind of out of that circle, right? I kind of felt bad, but I walked away and went and talked to some other students in the room. So I was ousted from that. Now, what happened there, right, is I had seen all the signs for the show. I'd seen a billboard. I saw a bumper sticker. I saw a t-shirt. I saw the commercial on TV that lasts 30 seconds. I'm aware of the show, but I haven't actually seen the show itself, and that's how Christians so often live their life. They see these signs, but they never actually see the show. It points to a one-year-old or an 18-month-old. When you point to something great, look at that over there. They're going to look at your finger, aren't they? And you're eternally frustrated with that. I don't know what age it is when they finally get it, you know, but that's my finger. That's not great. That's a, that's great. You know, you're trying to get to, they don't get it. They don't get, finally they do. And that's how we are with, as Christians, we so often look at the feeding of the 5,000. God has blessed me. Oh, I'm so happy. Thank you. That's it. That's the end of the story. Like that's the point. That's what God was really trying to do is heal your leg, feed your belly. That's not what's going on here. And so the lesson for the 5,000 is look at the miracle, but don't just look at the miracle. Look to, to what it points to. In other words, here, let me phrase it a different way. Jesus is not trying to give bread. He's trying to be bread. You see the difference? He's not trying to give bread. He's trying to be bread. Jesus is never happy as a means he is always the end. Jesus is never happy as a means. He's always the end. So don't stop with this miracle and say, what a wonderful miracle. Thank you for the lunch. When you pray for certain things in your life to get better, and when it does get better, it's a sign of something. And you have to look for that sign. And the sign is Jesus Jesus is, is what it points to. When they tried to make him a king, what did Jesus do? He withdrew, didn't he? Knowing that they were going to make him a king. Later on, if you read on in John 6, past verse 15, you'll see anger. Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me because you want your bellies filled and he's mad. He's not happy with that. Now, what kind of leader gets mad when people seek him? When people try to support him, want to follow him, want to make them 
him their king. Jesus is the king. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That sounds like a king. Above the cross, king of the Jews. They were making fun of him. But it was true. He admitted it. To Pilate, he said, yes, I'm the king. He wants to be the king. He is the one that rules. So why is Jesus withdrawing when they want to make him king? Abnormal. It's because the people seek him as a means to an end, as a tool for something else. They see Jesus Christ as a ticket stub at the movies. It gets you into the movie, but when you get into the movie, you throw the ticket stub away. And that's what these people are doing to Jesus. Get me food. Get me rich. Get me the things I want. Jesus is not trying to come alongside this group of 5,000 people and say, I want to meet your desires. And when I meet your desires and give you what you want, then I'll be valuable to you. Jesus is valuable. He wants to come and change your desires. Transform what you want from food and riches and things of this world to himself. And casting the attention on Jesus Christ. That is the sign. That is the point of this miracle. And, and it's the point of the book of John. That's why Jesus came down. To point us to himself. So, that's the lesson for the 5,000 at the end when he says, I'm not trying to give you bread, I am bread. They leave. In great numbers, they leave. And Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, will you leave also? And Peter, representing the disciples, stands up and says, where else are we going to go? You and only you have the words of life. I'm not going to find life anywhere else. And then he says something great. You are God. That's what Peter says. And Jesus is, yes, you get it. Now, what is the difference between the disciples and the 5,000 who left or the disciples that left the people that rejected Jesus, the people that Jesus rejected? Well, the difference is the 12 baskets. Because that's the lesson for them. Let's go back to the verse in which that happens. Look down at verse, I think it's 12. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. Think about that. Nothing may be lost. Why would that matter? We've just fed 5,000 people. Everyone's full. We know we don't have a refrigerator to put this bread and loaves and fish in. So we're, or fish in. we're not going to be able to, to carry it on until tomorrow. So what do we do with food? We just kind of toss it over. Birds eat it. It just rots. I mean, why do you want us to gather it up? That doesn't make any sense. You want us to keep it for dinner? Well, the point is the disciples hadn't eaten. Do you see that? The, the, there's a lunch which becomes lunch for 5,000. And who is it that has to give it out? The disciples do. So the disciples take a basket full of food and they give out 100% of that basket of food to the, to the people. They come back to Jesus empty-handed. And Jesus says, go gather the extra. This is a great way of doing ministry for Christians who follow Jesus. Jesus gives you something. 
You hand it out. You come back to Jesus empty-handed. And Jesus says, go get the extra from the people you just blessed. And, and what Jesus is saying is very interesting. There are 12 baskets. Well, how many apostles are there? Judas Iscariot has not betrayed Jesus and lost his standing. There are 12. There are 12 apostles. 12 apostles, 12 baskets. Some commentaries say 12 tribes of Israel, but we won't go there. But there's 12 apostles and there's 12 baskets. What is Jesus' point? Jesus' point, you know what it is? There's just enough for you. If you follow me in this ministry, there's going to be just enough for you. Individually, you. You are one of my 12 and you get a basket. No one's going to get rich doing this ministry. No one's going to store up storehouses full of food from this miracle. Nobody's going to take the bread that I've multiplied, says Jesus, that I've multiplied and then going to give 10% away and keep 90% for myself. That's not how it works. That might be the law. That might be the, what tithing is before. But that's not what I'm doing. I'm giving you something to give away, to take up your cross and die to yourself. You see the extreme nature of this calling upon the life of the believer. Give it away and trust that Jesus will give you just enough. He'll give you your basket. And that will carry you through. Tomorrow, you'll get another basket. The next day, you'll get another basket. But you won't get a storehouse of food in which to rely on. See, that's not the point. Relying on that storehouse is not what Jesus wants you to do. He wants you to pray like this. Give us our bread and make it abundantly a store. No, give us daily, our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. Like manna, where every morning you wake up without any storehouses. You wake up and you go out and you collect what you need for that day. Think about that. Are you serving God that way? Are you, are you a disciple? Are you following God like these disciples? When God multiplies something, what's your first thought? Is it those who he wants to reach or is it yourself? You will have a basket if you give it all away. You'll have just enough. So trust in Christ. Thirdly, that's the 12 baskets, the lesson for the disciples. Uh, thirdly, oh, before I move on, I forgot. There's a miracle in this bread miracle. And it's called the, the storm. He walks on water. You know that miracle? And it's very brief in John 6. It's out of place. You wonder why it's there. And basically, it goes from feeding of the 5,000 to this walking on water and salvation from a storm at sea. Sea of Galilee. Then it goes to the discourse about what the bread means and feeding you means. Okay? So this miracle happens in the middle. It happens to the disciples. And, and the point is this. I don't need you to do a miracle. You get out three miles out to sea on your own in a storm. And you're floating out there and you're about to die. I don't need you to do anything. Because I'm going to come on water and walk to you. I'm going to... I'm going to walk on water. No storm is going to keep me from saving you. 
I will be there and I will be in, inside your boat and I will save you. And, and it says, John 6 says at the end of this little miracle that immediately they were at the shore. Immediately. I mean, they weren't sailing for an hour. They were just, they were there. It's a miracle to stop the storm, to walk on water, to move to the shore. It's just all a miracle. And it's saying, it's saying to the disciples that there are times when I require you to help, but I don't need you. Now that leads us to the third point, and that's a lesson for you and me. It is for the disciples, but it's really for you and me. Why does Jesus start with loaves of bread and a fish from a little boy? Here's what I first thought when I read that. My first thought was, oh, how cute. That's a model citizen, right? That little boy is practicing giving. He gave his whole lunch. How cute. It's so inspiring. If the boy can give his lunch, I can give, you know, this is, this is the thing. It, but it feels like when a kid does something like that, it's not real. It's, it's practicing. The lesson is different than that. The lesson is, all I need is the little boy and his little lunch. And I'm going to take it and move it on. And who are you? Who are you today? You are the little boy. That's who you are. Whatever millions of dollars you have, however millions and wonderful talents and skills you have, however smart you think you are, you are nothing but a little boy. In the, and he, God does not need you. Jesus does not need you to do his will. But he requires you. He doesn't need you, but he requires you. It's very strange. Why would he, why would he use a little boy? Why wouldn't he just say, meal? Why would he use the little boy? Why would he say to the disciples, to Philip, how are we going to feed these people? Specifically, the words are, where are we going to buy food for these people? Well, now we have two problems. There's no store. That's the first problem. The second problem is, if we had a store, we don't have enough money to buy the food. Impossible, impossible. He's driving the point home that when you are called by Jesus to do the miracle of Jesus, you have to first see yourself as a, as a little boy. It, it's not practice. It's real. It's real. His strength is made perfect in weakness. And if you show up for ministry strong, self-confident, ready to go, he won't use you. He'll walk on water and ignore you. If you show up as a little boy and say, it's impossible, that's one of the requirements of doing ministry. If you want to sign up to do ministry anywhere in this world, first step, I can't do it. And he'll drill that home in you. And it might be a couple of weeks of suffering before you get it. It might be a, a time where you lose something that's valuable for you and something you think you need before you understand that lesson. You don't need those things, right? You need Jesus. So, so anyways, it, it starts off with the disciples saying at first point, I cannot do it. It is impossible. And then Jesus says the amazing thing. I want you to go do the impossible. Distribute the bread. Have them sit down and, and just multiply, just do it. And somehow when they did it, it just kept coming and they didn't quite know how. And, but nobody, here's, here's the thing. Nobody looked at the disciples as they handed out the bread and said, Oh, Peter, you are so great that you made this basket. Everybody knew it came from Jesus. There was no confusion about that. 
And so often as Christians, when we get this power from Jesus and we go out and we, we do great things, we preach greatly, we do these great teachings, we conduct great ministries, we organize great, we raise lots of money, we do all these wonderful things and we see much fruit, the temptation is to stop and say, I had a hand in that, you know. I did, I had a little part, I'm really kind of a little bit great. Right? I'm not that little boy anymore. I maybe once was when I started, but God made me great, and now I'm great. So sometimes we take the glory. You know what it is? It's like the Queen of England. You ever think about that? The Queen of England. I mean, let's say the United Kingdom had this ambition politically to reunite Korea. I don't know why, but let's say North and South Korea. So they go over there, and the United Kingdom is kind of trying to make this happen, and, it, and they're successful. And the whole world knows it. North and South Korea are reunited. There's no more danger. There's no more animosity. No more fear. Korea is one peninsula again, politically. And the world is applauding the UK. And the Queen of England is interviewed on live TV. And as she walks up, the live crowd that's gathered to watch this interview, standing ovation for the Queen. Let's say the Queen takes credit. Is that right? The way the political system works in England, is that... I mean, if the Queen of England said, yes, I know, I'm the ruler of this nation, thank you very much for your applause, I did it. Well, no, that's not how England works. It really is the Prime Minister and the government that is the power, the seat of power. This Queen has become just a, a, a vassal, a, a symbol, really. And she wears jewels. She carries a scepter maybe, puts a crown on, looks like a queen, royalty all over the place. Right? That's what we try to do as Christians. Sometimes we dress up as if we were the source. And what God is saying to the disciples, what he's saying to you is, is that can never be. They'll never see my glory if you get in the way. So you have to come weak. It's a fearful thing to do ministry. That's why I love youth ministry. Because teenagers get it. When you grow up, something clicks. I don't know what it is, but, you know, it's quiet confidence when you're older. But teenagers, I mean, every dollar they have, it comes from mom and dad. I mean, they know where it comes from. There's no pretending. They get on stage and lead worship. It's not practice. It really isn't practice. When they go and they lead someone to Christ who is in middle school at Bridge, which just about happened last Wednesday... When they go out to Royal Palms and they're there with the kids and they're trying to make friends and show them Christ. These teenagers, they get it. They're they're like, yeah, I'm powerless. Yeah, I don't have very many skills. I don't know how to teach. I don't have any money. You know, I just don't have anything. And when great things happen, it's great. Everybody sees Jesus. And that's what Jesus is trying to say. Now, There is one more point I'll make before I close. When we are helping Jesus in his miracles, and we know it's Jesus that's the one that's doing it, there's a line that Jesus says to Philip. The line is, verse 6, Jesus said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. So God calls you to a place that's difficult where you're like, that's impossible. I can't do that. And Jesus asks you to do it anyway. Jesus said that to you as a 
test. Okay? Because Jesus himself, he knows what he's going to do. So you might be fearful. But just remember that line. He said it to Philip. He's saying it to you. Trust me. Jesus is saying to his followers, I want you close. People, for some reason, the way God designed ministry, people don't get saved usually by direct contact with the Lord. It's usually through people. What is God trying to do there? Do you know what it is? I think the lesson here is that we, as believers... We can never appreciate the gospel like we're supposed to unless we're participating in the gospel like we're supposed to. We'll never see it for what it is until we do it. Think of swimming. You want to swim. So you read a book on swimming. Here's how you put your arms It's how you take a breath and then go under and then your feet kick like this. Hmm, I get that. You can even go online and watch a YouTube video of how to swim. Watch them kick around in the water and say, wow, I get it. I got it. You can even have a group of people come over who are good swimmers and talk to you and have a conversation about swimming. And you'll say, I come away from that totally understanding it. But can you swim? No, you don't really understand swimming the way you're supposed to until you jump in the water. Until you feel the water surrounding your body and the danger of drowning is ever present. And you begin to do swimming. And if you're successful, well, if you're not, you just die and then you don't learn. But if you're successful, you get out of the pool And you say, now I understand swimming. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to you and me today. You want to understand the gospel. Yes, come to a sermon and hear it preached. Yes, pick up your Bible and read about it. Certainly go to a small group and talk about it amongst your friends and mentors who are wiser than you. Of course do those things. But jump in the pool, he says. Take the bread to the 5,000. And as it multiplies in your hands, I wonder if that's you. Are you doing that? Are you the kind of Christian that just is a spectator, that watches the gospel from afar? And you watch ministry from afar? Or are you the kind that gets out of the tour bus that's air-conditioned... I mean, what if we went down to Haiti that way? Really, you know what Haiti is? Haiti is just exposing ministry to those who go to Haiti. Now, we do great things. We try. We have a medical clinic and a soccer camp and a VBS. But nobody is pretending that's going to revolutionize Haiti. It's a week, right? It's a week full of volunteers who really try to know what they're doing, but don't really. And, and then the needs are kind of weird. It's like, ah, it's crazy. It's chaos. So we know better than to, than, than to say that the ministry in Haiti is going to revolutionize this church. or be, We know that. with those limits to that. But what, what's the real point of that? The real point of that is to go to Haiti and see the poverty. And if we took, why don't we just take a, a tour bus? It's safe. That way we can get 
four-year-olds to go. Wouldn't it be better? Just have an armored tour bus with an air conditioning. We just drive around Port-au-Prince and we look and see that? No. The gospel, Jesus, the gospel, open the doors and take a step out and get in there and get your hands dirty and face real danger. And you'll pay attention to the gospel and you'll see the gospel and the power of the gospel that transforms lives. And you will no longer see the gospel as a fact, as something to know. You'll see the gospel as what's described so often in scripture, a dynamic power that transforms lives, that saves people, that changes their hearts, that opens their mind, opens their eyes. You'll see it for what it is if you're doing it. And that's the charge for you reading this miracle. You see, it's so much more than getting your bellies filled for a couple of hours. And if you don't pay attention, if, you, if, you're, if you're one of the 5,000 and all you can think of is your belly, you're missing the gospel. You're missing everything. The charge this morning is to, to get into the pool, to get out of the tour bus. And to serve. There are many opportunities. And I'll just say this one thing. As we, as we end. The, the opportunities that will come to you. Uh, will most likely. Be where you already are. At work. At school. In your neighborhood. And a lot of the time. Most of the time. The opportunities. To proclaim the gospel or right there right there not always sometimes you have to move out in some new place but but don't think of it in a in a structured way that you're just going to sign up for a ministry on a paper here at church and then do some structured ministry and that's it i'm saying everywhere you go in your life think is this an opportunity for the gospel is this is this where i'm supposed to get my hands dirty and maybe you'll hear the soft sound of jesus as he whispers to you to move and to move out and to see his glory. I'll read that line one more time and then I'll pray. Jesus said this to test Philip, for Jesus himself knew what he would do. Let's pray. Jesus, we read these words and we see we, we see the opportunities that you've given us that we have neglected out of laziness, out of fear, out of selfishness, and sometimes out of just pure blindness. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see more clearly not only what, what we're to do, but how we're to do it how we're to think of ourselves, how we're to think of your power as we move out. God, use our talents and skills and our money as little as they are, as weak as they are, so that your strength may be made perfect and that your glory may be revealed and that many will come to glorify you because of what we do and that we may see your glory in a way that we've never seen it before. We pray for that in Christ's name.